in the 21st century Hard-working people working hard for you and me Moving higher time and time again Through the years you'll find us here Moving higher Hello and welcome to Moving Iron Podcast Markets. This edition of the Moving Iron Podcast is brought to you by Dawson Tire and Wheel, your premier ag tire and wheel provider in North America, helping people grow. Tractor Zoom delivering insights and dry shod boots, the official work boot of the Moving Iron Podcast. This uh, is our Thursday edition where Sean Hackett comes on of Hackett Financial in Boca Raton, Florida, and gives his uh, his opinion and his angle of what's happening out in the marketplace. And Sean's always gracious enough to be on here. So, Sean, how you doing this morning, man? I'm doing really good, Casey. We're enjoying some cooler weather here in florida i'm sure you are yeah we actually got in the low 70s oh my goodness. and it wasn't 100 and, and humidity went from 120 percent humidity to 85 and so we're you know we're you know long sleeves we're, yeah you know, get get the blankets out so we're, we're, we're excited to get a, a break in the, in the weather i can imagine you're just you're just a brisk morning <laughs> out there <laughs> i see your breath almost in florida right oh i mean absolutely you know <laughs> but i didn't inhale no, good. Well, that's good. That's real good. That's real good. All right. So today is Thursday. So that means that we'll have an export report that comes out here this morning. And, um, you know, exports, the way of looking right now, are, are actually uh, are, are kind of our saving grace. You know, exports are, are the dollar is, is at a, as a point now where um, – it is very attractive for folks to come and start buying, especially the Chinese. So I guess as you look at the Chinese soybean imports, um, what is your thought on on that? And I mean, are we are we getting close to the end? I guess. What's your thoughts there? Well, seasonally, I mean, the answer yeah. is we normally are yeah. looking near the end. In fact. Uh, exports have decelerated. They're still very high year over year, but they have decelerated in soybeans, for example, to China. I mean, they've been backing off mm. from their, their rates. So we, we actually have already peaked, but I mean, we're still up way over from last year. So the answer is yes. The question is, how low do they go when the Brazilian soybean export machine turns back on? Meaning, do we go back to the, our, our typical low seasonal uh, demand or do, do we stay at a higher, lower level? And that's what we're really trying to monitor is, you know, we know we've reached peak exports to them, but how, you know, are we at a new higher normal during Brazil or, or have they binge bought enough? Have they front end loaded enough that they can back away significantly from us and then, and then just focus on Brazil, um, you know, over the first half of the season? And the answer is I'm not sure other than to say that, I think we are dealing with peak exports. It's going to be very, very hard for the soybean market to move much higher unless we get clear and present danger with weather in South America, especially Brazil. To me, that's really the only way you get soybeans to move substantially beyond $11.5, $12, which is the three-year peak, by the way, that we hit about three or four years ago. We hit that $12 mark for a little while. So um, I think Chinese demand is now in the, in the rearview mirror. And I think now it's all about weather, weather, and weather. Yeah. Um, I, I really feel it's strictly about that. And, and that becomes mission critical in mid-December. If in, Right now, from September 1 to now, we have the driest uh, period for Brazil soybean areas 
since 1980. I mean, this is the driest it's been. Now we've had timely rains, which means crop potential still good. But, but when you're this dry, as we move into the rainy season in December, that gap has to be narrowed or else you're going to start getting into trouble. So the next 30 days, I would be watching the weekly moisture maps in Mato Grosso and Rio Grande do Sol. Um, and I think that I would be focused on mid-late December as a potential for a weather market to develop. Until then, I think we're going to mark time, trade sideways, have some downside speculative selling. I think it's going to be kind of a mishmash of a market here for a while until we can discern whether South America, or especially Brazil, is going to have a okay crop where they're going to get into real, you know, a whole bunch of trouble here. Right. So. Yeah, and I think that's a, that's a great point because if you look at, at what they've been – their their ag ministry and stuff in um, in Brazil and even Argentina they have they have about every week they just kind of trim back what the what the harvest what their projections look like and they do need some water that they desperately need um, and I don't really see that there's there's much out there that that's showing that they're going to come that way but like you said mid December is still two three weeks away and and we've got a lot of you know, a lot of things could happen between now and then. I mean, our, our, our weather forecast uh, overall for the next few months is that our highest confidence is that southern Brazil, where uh, in uh, Rio Grande do Sol, where they grow 35% of the soybeans, is not going to get the rains that they need. We think that Mato Grosso, which is where they grow about 70% of the soybeans, we think they can get enough rain so that's not a disaster, but it certainly won't be a top-end crop. We think that's what's likely to happen. So if Mato Grosso, I mean, if uh, Rio Grande do Sol, you know, were to really get hit by, you know, 20 or 30 percent, uh, and let's say Mato Grosso is maybe more marginally 5 percent below what it should have been, that should be enough to get the markets excited again. But we, we can't make that determination until mid-late December. So, uh, but, I, but I do believe it's – now, now for corn – Remember, the corn crop that matters is not the corn crop that is currently planted and being grown. It's the second corn crop that's planted in January, February in Brazil. That's the big crop. That crop gets planted in Mato Grosso after the crop's harvested in Mato Grosso. Okay? Mm-hmm. Um, and <clears throat> the issue with, the, with that is, is if the rainy season is still not develop, uh, delivering, but just timely rains for soybeans, you're going to be planting corn with very, very low subsoil moisture. And if we get an early end to the rainy season in Brazil, the second crop corn be- could become a major issue. Um, you know, March, April. Just think of think of uh, think of uh, April, uh, January, and February like um, uh, uh, April, May here in the U.S. And then think of the growing season from there. So corn could get into very big trouble in March, April. Uh, so, so I kind of see the potential for a, a wave of soybean bullishness because of weather. And then that dovetails into a second round of weather concern on, on Brazil corn. And then, of course, as you know, our forecast is that we're going to a very hot, dry spring here in the U.S. with very low soil moisture. So once again, it, it, it's, it just, to us, it just keeps building the potential here for a longer-term uptrend here, Casey, um, yes, you'll have corrections. Yes, you'll have pauses, but we really don't see the weather letting up here, you know, for the next, uh, you know, from, from now into the spring of 22, we just see weather continuing to be a problem for grain markets. And so that just means we're just going to 
overall be ratcheting our markets higher over time. And I think producers, as we've been saying on your program for quite a while, really need to try to store as much grain as they can. Sell what you have to, sell what you can't store. Sure, you know, I mean, uh, uh, just try to keep your topside open in, the, in this environment. We just do not think that this is an environment where you want to be overselling in your normal marketing plan. We really feel this is a time to just take a step back. Grain farmers in the U.S. have been creamed for eight years, as you know. And I think this is finally a chance that they are going to get some, they can get some exciting prices, but that grain in the bin will offset some poor crops and give them an opportunity to do that. So we still feel, you know, that one wants to be very um, careful not to oversell, even though it looks tempting right now to do so, you know? Yep. Good point. Let's talk about, so since we're on that, <clears throat> on that, you know, kind of opened up with that, with that China export thing, the saving grace to the hog market is, has been China's ability to come in and buy the large amount of pigs that we have and the amount of pigs that we have available and, and our ability to kind of turn that turn that and grow that herd uh, as much as we can. African swine fever is not something that we've really heard a lot about since probably seems like almost like last April, you know, right before the coronavirus stuff kind of, kind of got after it. Um, but, you know, I just kind of I pulled this up here a little bit ago and just kind of ran through a little bit on the Internet and just typed in, you know, African swine fever uh, news. And, you know, the, the latest thing I can find uh, with a date on it anyway, it was back in September there was German officials have confirmed a case of African swine fever in a wild boar um, near the Polish border. Um, so that was back in uh, September. And then if you kind of go down here, there's still um, quite a bit of African swine fever popping up not just in China, but around around the world, you know, Europe and those kind of places. And I guess, do you, what's your thoughts there? I mean, what are your, what are your thoughts about that as far as the hog population and, and as from a, from a world perspective and, and how we can, as, as the United States pork producers, how can we, I want to, I'm going to use the word capitalize on, on what's going on there. Well, I mean, the biggest problem always was Casey, that China had, 50% of all the Chinese pork production came from backyard producers. Right. Yep. You know, they had five pigs in the back. They fed them scraps from the table, uh, that sort of thing. And there was no way to control African swine fever when you have those kinds of operations. So what the Chinese did is they pretty much closed all, those, got rid of all that. Mm -hmm. And they moved to these big corporate, large, uh, contained produce, you know, pork producing entities that can control their herd, uh, you know, biometrics, you know, they, it's just, they, they can, they, they can keep tabs and they can keep their herd, you know, pretty much in isolation um, and, and remove those risks that, that the backyard farm is just spreading and no, no one has any way to control it. So I really think that even though African swiper is never going to go away, just like the coronavirus is never going to go away, it's never going to have the impact that it did because with China's completely restructured their hog industry. Right. And if you look at, and if you look, their hog production is going to, is growing in, in excess of 35% now year over year. Their prices are falling now precipitously because they're getting their hands around it and they imported a lot. So we've reached peak U.S. pork exports to China. Um, it doesn't mean they still don't, won't need to buy a lot from us next year, but they're on a downswing now and they're going to continue to be on a downswing. So the, the sweet spot for the U.S. to, to capitalize on exports has come and gone. And the big problem we see in 21 is with when as that demand continues to fall, 
who is out there to pick up the slack? Somebody, I mean, there, is, there are some people that can pick up the slack. Other Asian countries can pick up the slack, but there's not enough to pick up the slack. And so we worry that the hog market's going to be having an oversupply problem here in the U.S., uh, at least in the first half of the year. I think, that, I think we, remember, the Chinese you know, stock up ahead of their holiday year-end um, holiday, you know, they, they, I guess right. it's February, March is when they have their holidays. And once they, once they stock it up and they've prepared for that, you know, then they walk away for a while. And so, so we're, we, we've been concerned that the hog market is, is kind of stuck in more of a neutral to downward kind of a price pattern now. Um, and, and, and we're not really terribly optimistic that's going to change. Uh, given what we, given what we're seeing happening in China, we just think that 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 trend is a permanent change now, and they got their hands around it. They're growing production; it's going to continue to grow. So, um, I would definitely, as a cash producer, you know, producer of hogs, I, I would be very much wanting to lock in some first half pig prices, I, I, you know, hog prices. I just think that that's a smart thing to do. Um, it doesn't mean there's no upside; it doesn't mean we can't have rallies, but I just don't see the easy pathway higher like we did earlier in the year, Casey. I think this is a time to, you know, you could you could survive as a hog producer right now at current prices and do okay. I would make sure I can. I would make sure I can survive. <laughs> yeah, you know? I hear you. Yeah, no, that's that's a. And, yeah. and 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 if we're right about this this feed thing escalating higher, you know, and as and corn prices going higher and so I mean, bean meal prices going higher. Costs are going to go up for producing these animals, and uh, uh, you know you you don't want to you just want to make sure you under you if you don't have your long term feed locked in, which many do not, then you got to lock in the price, uh, you know, uh, so that uh, you need to make sure you have that that margin locked in, because if you don't lock in the feed and it takes off into the spring and summer, even current prices may not be profitable, you know. So it, it's it's just a time to to be very clear very honest about your operation and don't get cute you got a margin lock it in, in the first half of the year and make sure that you don't get caught by some kind of a uh, an ugly period for prices and that you could get through it because the back half of the year probably things will look better i think the, the economy probably will open the vaccine will kick in demand will probably pick up you know i mean there's reasons to be optimistic later on in the season i just can't, it's hard for us to be optimistic the first half of the year so we'd really, really stress hog producers make sure they're okay. So, all right. So, I've, <clears throat> yesterday you sent out a kind of an update on some podcasts that you have out there, and and one that we talk about here quite a bit is is rice and wheat and how that demand curve plays with each other. And you know, one of those are going to be a driving market or driving the markets one way or the other. Um, wheat is knocking on the door six bucks. Um, it's getting closer every day. We have some, you know, rise up and kind of shut down, raise up and shut down a little bit. But um, talk about the rice market a little bit. What's going on there? Well, the U.S. rice price is, is based on Western Hemisphere rice prices. That's the North America, South America. Then you have Asian rice prices. Now, sometimes they go together and sometimes they don't. Right now, you know, they're kind of diff two different markets. But it's our view that they're going to link up, meaning I think that what, what happened in China and all the purchases they've been making of soybeans and all the purchases they've been making of corn and all the purchases they've been making of sorghum and all these things is because they had flood, flooding, terrible flooding uh, and typhoon damage and it ruined their crops and they've, they have a problem there. 
rice included. So we think that they're going to be in a position once they feel they've had, they've gotten enough food for their holiday. We think they're going to start buying a lot of rice, meaning they only care about the rice price not being too high for the holiday season for them. Once they feel they've they've done that, then I think they're going to be going into the market and buying a lot of rice because they know they're in trouble. That's the Asian rice price. The U.S. price, as we said earlier, our highest confidence call on weather is that southern Brazil uh, is, is, is highest to be in the worst place for the drought to continue and be most severe. That's where Brazil grows all their rice. Uruguay is also a huge producer of Western Hemisphere rice, which is just to the south of South Brazil, and they're even worse drought condition. When we look at it, that, all, that ground down there is typically irrigated, but they're out of irrigation supplies. So they do not have the luxury of keeping the crop going if the drought continues. If this drought continues into December, as we believe it's going to, then they're going to have another very, very bad crop compared uh, on top of the bad crop they had last year. And already they have the tightest supplies of rice in South America in history. So, so that says to us that now we had a good crop. The U.S. had a good crop, but everyone's going to come rushing to buy cash rice from us to make up the difference down there. And so that tells us that the rice market, which has been very, very quiet. You know, if you saw the chart we had yesterday, Casey, it's, <laughs> I mean, it's been very, very quiet market. But you know, quiet, you know what happens with quiet markets? They wake up in a hurry. And we think this market's going to wake up to the upside. And so if we are on the buy side of rice, if we are a cash buyer of rice, a Western Hemisphere rice, looking at what we're seeing with the weather in South America, looking at what China might do with purchasing Asian rice, we'd certainly be looking to get some cash rice taken care of here and make sure that we've protected ourselves to the upside because we think the first half 20 could be pretty impactful to the upside for, uh, for, for rice prices. And so it's a market that we think could really wake up. You know, you know, Casey, the wheat market's already woken up. Right. The rice market's gone to sleep. And, they, and, they, and they, it's a yin and a yang. We've talked about this. One goes up, then the other goes up, and the other goes up. Well, we think it's time for rice to, to kind of catch up here a little bit. And so it, it's a market that we would be paying attention to, not only here, but we pay, we'd be paying attention to it in, in, in Asia as well. So, Yeah, there's a it's, – it's kind of a – a mixed bag there because it's like you just everything you just said there is what i've been reading and, and yeah there's a there's a direct correlation between those two and i never really thought about the the holiday end of it that they're going to make sure their prices are are pretty low going into this holiday and then after the holiday they kind of don't care so they're going to make it take that run so that's a good point very good point last thing i want to talk about too is the cotton market cotton markets had um it's had a pretty good run here of late but it's you know it's got it, it it has big corrections that come along with that. So talk about the cotton market, especially as it relates back to the economy. And I'm, I've got my concerns about the overall economy going into 21, just because of where we're at monetarily. There's been a couple articles come out from Citigroup that have talked about um, how they're going to devalue or there's going to be a 20% decrease in, in the, in the value of the dollar in 21 and those kind of things. So, um, <clears throat> good for exports to some extent. That's a big drop. So there's a there's a lot that comes along with that. But I mean, what's your where are you at on cotton right now? When we look at cotton supplies in the U.S., we have plenty of cotton. When we look at cotton supplies in India, which is another big exporter of cotton, we have plenty of cotton. 
when we look at how much cotton is in China, we have plenty of cotton. There's no shortage of cotton. Cotton has been running up on endless hurricane threats to the deep south in Texas all year long, and that's kept the market guessing how big the U.S. crop is, how big the U.S. crop is. Finally, <laughs> the hurricane season, I, I shouldn't say, it's over, okay? It's right. finally over, and there's just not, we're not going to have another hurricane to hit the deep south to give the bulls another reason to run the market higher on supply concerns. So I think we finally have played the supply bullish case out with an epic hurricane season that we talked about earlier in the season could be the case. Right. Um, so now it's demand, demand, and demand. And I agree with you. The global economy and the U.S. economy looks difficult here in the first quarter and possibly the second quarter, and that's not going to be good for cotton prices. So it sets up for the potential for a correction here. Um, uh, the other side of the equation is once that correction has played itself out, then it's acres, 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 and acres. Soybeans are very, very high relative to cotton. And so the soybeans are going to be drawing a lot of acres away from the cotton market. And so uh, as we move into the first quarter, when the market battles for who's going to get what, where, and how, and why, cotton's going to get the short end of the stick on this. And that should provide some ability for the market to, uh, to rally a little bit into the spring on acreage reduction concerns. So I guess it's kind of a, a two-part forecast. The first forecast is we're set up for a demand issue correction into the end of the year, followed by a acreage planting reduction concern to maybe put some pro a lift in prices as we move into the spring. So if I was a cotton producer finishing up my harvest, looking at a very good price, by the way, I mean, cotton producers do very well here at this price level. You know, like I said, for the hog producer, I think selling some cash cotton, you know, for the first quarter, into the first quarter, or, you know, I think that's a probably a good thing to be doing. I think they should be doing some of that. I think the cotton market is certainly not a market that can avoid economic sensitivity. And I would not want to be a cotton producer and, and not take that price that, uh, that we have right now. I think that's something that they should sell and make sure they have enough sold that it gives them plenty of capital, plenty of income that they can buy out that, that, all that equipment for next year and all that sort of thing and, uh, and, and be merry. So, um, my recommendation and, uh, and, uh, and I, and I think it's been very hard to see this cut market go much higher right now, in my opinion, given what I'm seeing. Yep. So well, I hope you're right. Come buy all that, buy all that equipment that you need. It'd be great. Last thing. Well, if they do, if they sell a lot of cotton here and lock in this price level, they will have a lot of capital for, uh, for you guys so. that'd be great my, f my friends down south will be jumping for joy here all right yeah and, and, and you, you know cotton equipment is, is, is big iron you know it's big iron so yeah, it's uh, expensive that is that is for sure and in yeah, in so. equipment tents so yeah it's, it's a it's a pretty good yeah pretty good market there so um is. last thing here cattle prices have fought their way up to 108 and they just battled and battled and battled and they kind of broke through there now we're seeing some some 109, 110, 111 numbers kind of come through. Um, looks like we've kind of passed through resistance level. Um, what's your thoughts on the cattle market right now? And are we still have some of that, you know, coronavirus close, bit of economy hanging over here on the on the cattle market? Yeah, I, I have I have very mixed feelings about the cattle market. And the reason I have mixed feelings is because, as you know, Casey, we follow our 
smart money insider capital flow model algorithm. Mm -hmm. And we highlighted a few weeks back that we were seeing parabolic buying in the cattle market, you know, when it had that hit that was so anomalous that we, you know, we, we warned that, you know, we, this was suggested that there might be a, an improvement. And of course, the market, as you said, taken off since then. And they remain very bullish. They remain very bought into the cattle market, suggesting that prices have not gotten high enough. But I can't, I can't, I don't see the fundamental reasoning behind it. I, I worry about the economy and cattle is very economically sensitive. I, I just struggle to see what the smart money is seeing. By the way, that happens a lot, by the way. So I guess our point of view is, Smart money is saying this market, you know, has some more upside to go higher, but you know we don't have a lot, you know. But when we don't have a fundamental view that agrees with smart money, our conviction is much, much less. And so I guess where we are is that smart money says we, we should be going higher, um, but you know, if if this market starts to stall out or starts to weaken a little, if I was a you know a cattle producer, you know, I would be you know quick to make sure I, I didn't let some of this price rise go away. So I, I don't have a strong conviction on the market, Casey. I, you know, sometimes we don't have a strong conviction, but our best guess is smart money says going higher. We'll go with that for now, but we're worried about the economic implications to, cat, to, to beef prices. That's where we stand right now. Yeah. So. Okay. One other thing, based you know, another economically-based commodity is obviously oil. Oil has gotten beat up here of late just because of what's been going on with, with monetary policy and what we see coming from different areas. And, and we've seen you know 37 to 39, and here of late, uh, it's kind of bounced up above the, um, the $40 mark, I think, right now. I'm looking at the chart. Looks like West Texas is about... 41.68 right around there and then Brent somewhere in that that 44 range so we had a nice rebound there to get above that $40 mark um but with that being said still aren't as many cars out on the on the on the road that we've seen in the past haven't gotten back to to pre-covid level um uh daily usage of, of oil and those kind of things I think we're off about a million barrels a day um what are your thoughts on oil and then Conversely, ethanol. Well, I mean, people got very excited by the virus news and thinking, okay, well, once the virus is, uh, I mean, the vaccine news, mm -hmm. and then once the vaccine can be administered, everyone's going to go out and, you know, get on planes and drive everywhere and all that sort of thing, and that consumption is going to improve, going to improve. Right. Um, it has not improved yet. Um, on the, on, but, but also understand because it, the, the, the price is so un uneconomical, that production continues to fall precipitously, including natural gas, by the way. So, so you have a situation where as production continues to fall, it, it offsets weak demand and you have a sideways trade market <laughs> like we've been having where it goes up and it comes down, down and it goes up because for every time we're losing demand, we're also losing supply. And, and it's, so it, it's kind of offsetting each other. At what point does the supply con contraction even overcome weak demand? Or at what point does the economy reopen again and demand pick up, and then and then we have a mismatch? So I think I think the the oil market is stuck in this sideways trade with optimism that the demand is going to come back, and and but also concern that near term demand is going to be horrible, but also understanding that there's nothing that's going to stop our production from declining because nobody can make any money fracking for crude oil right now. Right. You know what I'm saying? Yeah. yeah. Um, 
So I guess I'm kind of neutral in this um, and, and, and feeling that the market, you know, is probably on the upper end of a trading range because of the virus. But I think it's a little too early to get too excited because we still have probably at least another three months to five months of some very poor demand before, you know, a vaccine can be distributed and everyone, everyone's confidence can come back. And then maybe we have one heck of a summer driving season or something like that. You know what I'm saying? Yeah. So I think it's a stable market. I guess that's where I, that's where my head is at. I think it's a stable market. I think we're going to, we're going to straddle 40 bucks like we have been, which is not, I don't think it, it's good or bad or indifferent. I think it's just a sideways trading market. And as, as it has been, as it has been. Yeah. So, yeah. Well, good stuff as usual, Sean. If folks want to reach out to you and get more information about what it is Hackett Financial can do and uh, what you have to offer, what's the best place to do that? Our website is Hackett, H-A-C-K-E-T-T, advisors.com. There's all kinds of good stuff on there for people to take a look at to see if what we do might be of value to your listeners. So, Right on, man. Well, Sean, thanks for being on the podcast. I am Casey Seymour with Moving Iron Podcast. Make sure you check me out on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram. That's where you're going to find the latest editions of the Moving Iron Podcast as well as any Moving Iron blogs that I post. Go to movingironllc.com for the latest news on the Moving Iron Summit January 20th through the 22nd. That's in Nashville, Tennessee. Sean will be there. He's going to give an uplifting speech about the weather for 20 and 21 and all the, all the fun stuff that's coming down the, or, or 21 and 22, sorry, for all the fun stuff coming down the pike there. So a little tongue-in-cheek, that's a, it's a great, it's a great, up, you know, I've, I've heard that speech, I don't know, two or three times now, and uh, each time I learned something new that I didn't, didn't pick up on the first time just because of, of where we're at in, in the information that's coming down, coming down the pike. So Sean has uh, done a great job of compiling that information, so make sure you check that out. All the information for the meetings there, um, you, as far as registration and hotels and those kind of things, all that information is there as well. But if you need more information, hit me up at Moving Iron Podcast at movingironpodcast.com, and I'll get uh, answer any questions you might have. Global Ag Network is another great place to find ag-related um, podcasts. One of my favorites is uh, Dryline Farmer, Dry Farmer Podcast with Brent Lannon. Two guys will make you laugh as you're going through your day. So with that, I am Casey Seymour with Sean Hackett. Let's go some iron, folks. Out. Moving iron in the 21st century. Hardworking people working hard for you and me. Moving iron time and time again. Through the years you'll find us here.